guys, and welcome to Talking to Trailblazers, episode six. I'm Jack Corbett, and on behalf of Business News Australia, today I'm stoked to be able to share half an hour with Jane Morell from Carer Solutions Australia. Jane has developed a business that is very quickly becoming Australia's most disruptive administrative assistant in the disability support and care space. So, Jane, how are you traveling this morning? Good. I'm very well. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, going well. Um, all things considered. Yes. I, I mean, I don't want to sound like a stuck record now that I'm on my sixth episode, but <laughs> the reality is we are in a very unusual, very crazy time um, that is forcing all of us to be able to adjust and change the way that we do things. So I guess we might as well get it out of the way early because I only want to talk about it once, but with yeah. um, the government restrictions that have been placed on the way that we can care for people, mm-hmm. how have the last three months been for your business, Jane, and, and what impacts has it had? Yeah, absolutely. It's been, um, yeah, as you say, it's, um, there's been so much um, uncertainty in in the space, in in the, in the world, I guess, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, it was no different. When we first started um, moving into COVID and going into the lockdowns, the government had, hadn't yet deemed care and caregiving an essential service. So there was a few weeks. We probably had maybe two weeks, two and a half weeks of pretty serious confusion um, amongst our, our partners um, who are our clients and, and their support workers and also between us as an organisation. And then um, a couple, you know, two, two and a half weeks down the line when we did get that clarity, um, that was fantastic because then everyone could start sort of continuing to roster their support workers accordingly and not have to worry about, um, you know, any any um, restrictions in doing that. So, sure. um Fortunately, the government um, got onto that um, uh, not super, not as quickly as we would have liked, but yeah. uh, given what was happening and all the uncertainty and the fact that everything was unprecedented, it was just great to get that certainty. And and now um, people have been free since then to keep um, keep employing people as an essential service as is required, which is great. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm the first person to bash a politician whenever I get a, a, fair, <laughs> and ample, a fair and ample opportunity. But yeah. on the whole, I feel like um, as a country, and as a government, we dealt with this situation as well as we could. But mm-hmm. some of the bits that hurt my heart is listening to someone like you who definitely, without a shadow of a doubt or an argument, offers mm-hmm. essential service to people. You yeah. are caring for people who are fundamentally unable to care for themselves. Yeah. Yet it took three weeks for you to be classified as an essential service, yet mm-hmm. construction work took three days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I hear you and, and definitely we share that sentiment and that frustration, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think to your point, the, the government, you know, obviously had a, an incredible task um, to basically, you know, pivot and, and be able to be agile and move so quickly, which government, as we know, traditionally can't and doesn't do. Um, so when this was thrown at them, obviously they had a lot to contend with. But yeah, it's certainly super frustrating when you see other services deemed as being essential when um, obviously giving care and, and receiving care, um, which is an absolute requirement for, for people to be able to live their lives, um, was, was left to the side. So yeah, it was a very frustrating time and infuriating, a lot of uncertainty, particularly for people with disability who are already living their lives in very vulnerable positions um, to have to continue with. So yeah, a lot of um, patience and a lot of, um, you know, continually, um, you know, 
checking and rechecking information to see when the, you know, the okay would come through was really happening. Um, yeah, which was a a difficult time. Um, yeah, difficult times for everyone at the moment. So yeah, we're definitely sharing in that for sure. Yeah, I can understand that definitely. And I always say that I'm, I also married a carer, if you will. She, uh, my wife is a uh, registered nurse at the, um, in the emergency department of the Gold Coast Hospital. Wow. Yeah. I always say that people who apply themselves to that industry are a really special type of human being. I often think mm-hmm. my wife is willing to do things for complete strangers that I would struggle to do for the people I love more than anybody else in the world right? Um, And I would love then because of that to sort of tap into your psychology, kind of give us the background. Who, who is Jane? What's, what's her heritage? What was, what was important to her growing up? Like, I'm, you know, when she was a young girl and she was in grade two and they said, what do you want to be when you're older? You know, what's, um, (laughs) what's got Jane, where does her story start and what brings her to the position that she's in today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, for me, you know, I've always grown up or definitely grew up with a with a strong sense of, of family um, and people, you know, being part of a, a family where everybody really, you know, cared for each other, cared for each other in the immediate family um, and also cared for wider family as well, um, including, you know, extended family, grandparents and things like that. So I think it was, I was definitely, it was definitely in my blood, <laughs> um, I would say, to, to have that, um, you know, that sense of, of care for people that were close to me. And, and that certainly extended for from a really young age to people that, you know, I certainly wasn't related to. It was just, it was just the way I was brought up, um, which I think definitely had a huge impact on, on me starting the business and being in the position I am today. Um, I, I definitely have always loved working with people. Um, and, and throughout, it's interesting when I sort of think back, um, you know, in hindsight throughout my career, particularly when you're going through your early sort of twenties in that part of your career, when you're finding what you want to do and you're looking for, you're looking for, you know, a great role in a great organization or just looking to find your feet somewhere. I think I was, what was really driving me was, was the desire to find something that had a purpose. Um, and something that really aligned with my personality. And, and, you know, like everyone, I think I went through those times and those years and those periods where I, I felt I had some really fantastic roles in completely different industries to what I'm in now, of course, but I just didn't feel that I was being per-skilled. Um, I just didn't feel it. I felt like the work that I was doing was great. You know, I may have been getting paid well, whatever the case might have been, but it didn't align to who I was as a human being. Um, and I, I struggled struggled really, to be honest. I really struggled through just constantly, you know, craving that fulfillment in that sense. No matter how well I did in in roles or what I'd achieved for organizations, I was just still, that felt like that was a massive part that was missing for me. So um, yeah, when the opportunity came about, when the, you know, the cards fell my way and the opportunity came about to start my own business and, you know, start Care Solutions Australia, I really um, felt like it was, it was so beyond right for me because it ticked that box and absolutely in terms of personal fulfillment and the ability to be able to give back in a real meaningful way um, and, you know, make make a, an organisation, you know, my life's work. Um, and that that I find, you know, I don't say that lightly. I feel very privileged to be in that position. I think a lot of us um, or a lot of people in life are looking for that and, and you know, they get through their life and they don't find it. So um, to be able to have found it and, and pursue 
did that and followed that um, and, you know, had the determination, the resilience, um, you know, the, the work ethic to make this happen, um, you know, is not, is not a small, is, is no small feat um, and is also, you know, not something that I, that I take for granted or take lightly um, because, yeah, it is, a, it is a big leap of faith that you take when you um, start your own organisation and, you know, when you're starting something from scratch, it takes every single part of your being to, to make it a success. So, um, yeah, it's certainly been the case for me for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think it's amazing to listen to you talk about a purpose-led business, not a profit-led business, you know? Absolutely. I often find the most profitable businesses are those that are truly led on purpose. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, people, um, I often get told by our partners um, who are our clients and, and they turn around and they say, you know, we, we do business, we've just start, we've been doing business with you for all, the, you know, this long, for all these years, because we basically, we trust you. Um, we find that you're authentic, your staff are authentic, your values are aligned to, you know, um, to the purpose in terms of all the staff that you hire and they feel it through the entire customer experience and they feel it on the journey and and you know there's no better endorsement than that and I think when you get those ingredients together and you get the right mix um, there's no way that the, that you cannot be successful um, in any business that you're operating if you you know you're purpose driven you're you know you're led um, from the you know from the heart it's it's all moving in the right direction everything is aligned in that sense then success will will not um, will not evade you that's for sure um, and that's certainly been my experience and it you know it sounds, um, you know, it, it, it's just been, yeah, it's been an incredible experience, that's for sure. But um, yeah, that's certainly our compass and our moral compass here. And, you know, we operate with a high level of integrity as well. Um, and every, and it's important that, you know, that emanates through the organisation and that's our, you know, our hiring policy. Um, we hire on that premise. Um, and, you know, we've got to really have a group of people that are working for the organisation that are completely um, aligned to the values and, and that's a testament to the success we've had for sure. Absolutely. That's incredible. And I, and I love the fact that you're talking from a position of firsthand experience as well. You know, you're somebody that's come from a, a marketing or a specifically a sports marketing background yeah. where possibly you could have earned more money quicker in something that is uh, a more readily available industry with lower barriers to entry and more economy of scale, right? So absolutely, so many people listening to this podcast today that you're probably doing something because it makes good money or you're doing it because it makes somebody else proud of you. But mm -hmm. I'm also sitting here like Jane from a firsthand experience of having started multiple businesses that were designed only to make money not yep. to get me out of bed in the morning and put the fire in my belly. And I promise you, you will burn yourself out. Oh, yeah. Let absolutely. me flip that then, Jane. If you don't love at your absolute core what you do and you're driven by it so passionately, what happens in the darkest moments, and we've all had them, where we mm. can be quitting or giving up, when we feel like it's not working? What's mm. the difference between being on a profit-led or a purpose-led business when you arrive in that position? 
Oh, yeah. Great, great point. I mean, it's, you know, for me, it's an absolute remarkable difference. It's like, it's night and day, really. Um, I think, you know, when, and, you know, there's no part of an entrepreneurial um, journey for anyone that's ever easy. It's, you know, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, Most of the time, it's just, you know, an arduous, you know, difficult to try and experience. But what keeps, what's definitely kept me um, pushing through in the darkest of hours, and I've had many of them over the years, um, is really, really just, you know, knowing that we're making an actual difference to people's lives and the feedback that we get from our partners saying, you know, if this service didn't exist, I wouldn't have, you know, been able to send, be able to take my son overseas for the first time in his life because he's severely disabled. Um, you know, I wouldn't be able to basically have gone, have, you know, gone to the, you know, movies for the first time ever um, because this, this organisation has given me the opportunity to do that. So just those stories and those customer experiences that are shared with us from our partners is really what, what you know, sort of gets me through in the darkest of, of moments, um, you know, and the, and the times where you just sort of think, hang on a minute, um, you know, this is, this is just all too hard. It's ridiculously overwhelming. Um, you know, what, you know, why am I doing this for? Um, and, and for me, it's just, it just takes a reminder of the, of the partners that we're here to serve, um, and the outcomes that we're achieving alongside them that makes me go, you know, hang on, this is, this is absolutely all worth it. Um, and I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't change it for a minute. Um, and we're often having conversations as a team about that as well, just, you know, as a group, just, you know, talking through the experiences of our partners as a collective, just saying, hey, guys, you know, this is our purpose. This is why we're here. This is the reason why we exist. And this is how remarkably people are benefiting from the work that we're doing, um, which keeps us going as a group all the time, particularly through, you know, times like this with COVID. It's difficult for, um, you know, you're in, a, you're in an environment and a setting that, you know, we've never been in before. We're all remote so we're all operating from different locations um different locations around you know around the country for us so it's it's hard managing a team in this environment and keeping everybody motivated keeping everybody um you know um you know making sure everyone's mental health is in check you know keeping everyone aligned with the purpose it's 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 it makes it even more difficult but um you know in some ways you're a lot more closer than ever as well which is which is really nice yeah, love it. And, and if I asked you for a quick fire top of the dome answer, would you rather make a 1% impact on 100 lives or 100% impact on one life? Definitely the latter. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't yeah. know the answer to that question, but that's, that epitomizes what you're suggesting, which is it, no matter how tough the times get, you know, little George who lives at house number 12, he needs us. Yeah, he yeah, us. absolutely. Let's, let's yeah. keep going for him. You know, and, and there are many other yeah. things out there too. I, I kind of wanted to touch on you three or four times have said what I would traditionally call my clients or or my customers, if if you will. You have referred to them as your partners. Now, yeah. being somebody uh, myself and my business partner Ryan Tuckwood through our organisation ISR Training, we do a lot of work in neuro linguistic programming, and neuro linguistically, they are two completely different contexts. Having a partner and having a customer or a client really have two, in my opinion, completely different reference points. Mm-hmm. Why do you so specifically choose that language and what impression are you ultimately trying to create to that end user, to that partner? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a very conscious decision that I made when I started the organisation was to refer to our customers as partners, not clients. And that's based on the fact that, um, you know, largely on the fact that traditionally in the disability sector, we don't treat people um, equally. Um, we've we've never treated people as, um, you know, normal, in inverted commas, human beings. We've always treated people as a, as a client or a number. Um, and, and I wanted to make sure that I created an organisation that from the outset made it clear that this, what they're entering into if they joined Carer Solutions Australia was a true, absolute true partnership in every sense of the word. And it, and it absolutely is that. Um, it is a partnership. We, we work with our partners partners to empower them to directly employ their own support workers. So we provide all the administrative support. So we're their back end or back of house support team, but they're making their own decisions on who they recruit, um, what duties they need the person to undertake. They're taking care of their own rostering and they're partnering with us to facilitate all the, um, you know, the legalities involved in that employment process. So it really was important, um, absolutely, to make sure that people from the outset are aware that this is a partnership with them. We're on an equal level playing field um, and they certainly from the moment that they engage with our service will not be treated any any differently to to make them think that this isn't a collaboration um, with them. It's not us (laughs) dictating to them. And we're from a space where traditionally that's what what people have felt for years and years, that they get dictated to, that they get put in a box because they have autism or they get put in a box because they have Down syndrome and they, they, you know, they're they're not able to make decisions for themselves or anything like that. These are, they just come, we just come to, to people with disability with all these assumptions in our head, thinking that they, and treating them like they should have no control over their own lives, let alone make their own decisions, which couldn't be further from the truth. So um, when I created Care Solutions Australia, it was paramount in my mind that um, from day dot that it, they were referred to as partners. And, and yeah, that has been incredibly well received over the years, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. No, I love that. I think the empowerment they're being given through the control of decision-making would have to have huge social and emotional impacts. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we constantly get that feedback from our partners as well, just saying, you know, the fact that you guys refer to it as a partnership means so much and I really do feel it is a partnership, yeah. um, which, is, which is great because a lot of our legacy clients that have been with the organisation for a very long time um, often mention that to us. Yeah, well, I, I being somebody who has some level of first-hand experience in the fact that I have a very mild form of autism called Asperger's syndrome and often okay. yep. was that square peg trying to be jammed into a round hole all, all the time, you know, mm-hmm. was often yep. told how I felt. No, you feel like this. No, you, you guys think like this. And I'm, I'm sat there going, but, but I'm not thinking like that. Mm, I, I, I appreciate Mr. or Mrs. Support worker that your textbook says that's how I'm supposed to feel today, but I don't feel that way. Yeah, I consider myself to be super left of, of, of field in terms of being so off the spectrum, you know, that I can't relate to everyday issues or be able to fundamentally think for myself. And I think that flows into what we watched on um, the project about a week and a half ago when Dylan Alcott, who, by the way, is an absolute stud of a gentleman, um, myself and Ryan were very fortunate to, to be guest speakers at the American Express uh, national conference in the Hunter Valley last year, and he was the speaker on before us. Right, um, gentleman, absolute stud, and he was talking about how they had cancelled 
the, the Open, you know, the French Open and, and Wimbledon for disabled tennis players. Yeah. But, but fully uh, functioning, if you will. I don't know, apologise if that's incorrect terminology, but, you know, fully able people were able, able to decide. Yeah. They didn't have to. Yeah. Or to decide. But if yeah, you were disabled, the decision was made for you. Yeah. I yeah guess we, that's probably the epitome of what you're talking about, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's absolute insanity. And in, you know, 2020, the fact that we're still treating people that way is just deplorable um, and completely unacceptable. Mm. Um, and I think that's what, you know, our, our partners have said to us that we brought to the space, you know, a renewed, um, you know, and a refreshing um, way of, of approaching um, people and just treating everyone equally. You know, I think it's, um, I know equality is a, a big, a hot topic around the world at the moment on many fronts and um i think that that everything that's going on just highlights you know the importance of it across the the globe and if we at, at care solutions australia can somehow make an impact in that way um and be a small contributor to that then we've certainly done our job yeah i think that you're you're, you're absolutely right it's extremely topical with the black lives matter movement that take yeah taking not disrespecting uh, that movement but going to more that perspective of every single life matters tall short fat thin black white orange yellow muslim catholic disabled not is yeah. really irrelevant do you believe we will ever get there i mean this has been what a 150 year journey to today yeah um, we're still a yeah. country mile away from from being in the right position where all people are viewed and treated equally? Do, do you have a, you know, without being Martin Luther King, do, do you have a dream that that's possible? Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, I, I, you, I think we all have to hope that it, we really have to hope that it is. I think it boils down to, you know, and I, it's difficult, but it also, I think it just boils down to each of us as human beings and every single one of us, um, you know, as smaller impact as we can make in, in our own world and in our own community that will reverberate and, and you know, push through to, to, to the rest of the planet. I mean, I sort of think about it in that perspective, you know, it's really difficult. I think these, these issues are, huge as you've said they've been around for generations um I, I would like to think that you know this generation and us as a generation are making probably the biggest inroads that have ever been made mm -hmm. to get back to everyone you know getting back to some kind of equality but I think you know honestly I do think that there is still a very long way to go but I think if we can each be committed to controlling what we can do on a you know on our own level which is a very micro level just on a daily basis we can contribute to the overall um, goal, which is, which is, you know, a bit making bigger change. And, and I think, you know, it's about also not just looking at it as a, as a topical thing because it's happening right now, but it's about, a way of living and I think we have to continue this way you know when in you know in six months time in, in six you know six years time in 60 years time we just have to be continuing to to live live um live in a way where we're making a difference on on our micro level and knowing that that will be felt um on a on a larger level and encouraging others to do the same and you know i think it's sort of that whole notion i feel kind of like a paying it forward type scenario you know when you make an impact when you make someone feel good that betters their day they'll have a really great interaction with the next person and the next person and the next person yeah. um yeah I'm, I'm sort of a big believer in that's the the best way that we can affect any overall change.
Oh, I agree. And I think like truly institutional and insidious prejudice, which has existed for so long, mm. can't change overnight. You can't flick a switch to change exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with you that when you've said, you used the word ethics earlier, about your business being deeply rooted in the right ethics. And I think mm. I define ethics by the way somebody conducts themselves when nobody else is watching. A hundred percent. Yeah. Here on this podcast, knowing, you know, a thousand so people are going to listen to this and say we should all strive for equality and then the second this camera goes off i start mistreating the women who work here or judging people on the pigment of their skin um i agree it's not a topical thing it doesn't matter today it matters and until it becomes important to everybody um we'll probably never eventually reach that goal Agreed. Yeah. It's a, it's a universal, it's definitely a universal thing. Um, and yeah, it needs to be important to everyone and it needs to be incorporated in your movements and, and the way you speak to people and the way you approach situations on an everyday basis mm-hmm. for the rest of your life from the beginning, you know, from when you, when you start thinking about it to, to when you leave this earth, um, it really does need to be the case um and we all have a you know we all have a responsibility in that it's not somebody else's problem or it's not um you know we're we're all responsible as long as we're all here um you know living these lives so yeah that's definitely the way i see it for sure i completely agree with you and i think your your company was founded back in 2011 but really kind of galvanized and, and started to take a bull run um when you passed the ndis act in 2013 Mm. Um, could you talk to me a little bit about um, how NDIS uh, molded and shaped your business? And could you also talk into a little bit, there's a lot of businesses out here that are eligible for different grants or aids or supports that often take a slightly egotistical stance of, I don't need help. If I get a handout from the government, I won't feel the emotional reward of success. I, I, mm. I, I call bullshit on that, you know, but... yeah. What would your advice be to anyone who maybe has eligibility to some level of federal support um, in considering it and then secondly, going about actually obtaining it? Yeah, absolutely. I think in in terms of, I guess there's two parts of that question, but the first part um, around the the government grants or any sort of support that's out there, I would strongly urge anybody that's open and obviously eligible because there is eligibility criteria attached to a lot of those grants that if they do come across them and they're strongly, you know, aligned um, and really believe in their purpose, then absolutely go for it. Um, You know, there's no reason that you should associate having any um, grants or or government support as, you know, being less of a success. I mean, absolutely not because it still takes so much blood, sweat and tears um, beyond just receiving funding. Um, There's all the implementation around how you're going to use it and obviously whether that's going to be a success for you. Um, So, yeah, I certainly would encourage anybody that's starting a business um, or looking at that within their own business currently to to definitely pursue those grants. They're there for a reason um, and, you know, they're out there looking for, actively looking for organisations that are wanting to make a difference. So if you're out there and you believe that you are one of those, then I'd strongly urge you to to go after it. 
Um, from the, to, in terms of the, um, your point around the NDIS, yeah, so we, we really, or well, I designed the service with the NDIS in mind. So I knew that the NDIS was on the horizon. So I knew we'd be able to really capitalize well once the NDIS scheme was at play. Um, traditionally people in our space were what we call block funded. So that means, that meant that the funds were attached to an organization that basically went about and did, as we spoke about earlier, um, made a lot of decisions for a lot of people in disability without actually including them. So the whole premise and one of the ideas behind the NDIS was to individualise funding across the country for everyone so the funds would be attached to the individual rather than the organisation, which was obviously a brilliant move and, um, you know, and long overdue for people with disability. So when that happened, the actually the, our space moved and shifted to a really to a consumer-driven marketplace where people with disability for the first time ever were being, um, you know, empowered to make their own decisions and basically use their funds in the in the best way possible to achieve, you know, the ultimate goal of living their best lives. So that's what the NDIS really, um, really did for people. And with our service offering, being that it, it gives people the opportunity to directly employ their own support workers and control the day-to-day runnings of their arrangement, it gave people the opportunity, you know, really for the first time to look at us look at organizations like ours as a possibility and just go, wow, now I can finally do this. I've got, you know, my own funding. I'm making my own decisions and, and off I go. And I'm going to engage these guys, you know, in this organization, that organization, and I'm actually going to be in control. Um, of my own life and I'm going to be making my own choices, which, um, which, you know, every single person on this planet should, should be able to do. So, um, that, and that's really where that obviously, Played in and, and played in quite well with our service offering in terms of how we offer what we offer to people, um, and moving away from the traditional block funding into this whole consumer-driven marketplace where atta- where funds are attached to individuals. So the NDIS has been a revolution um, to our to our industry, to our sector, you know, to our space, absolutely. And it's also provided um, opportunity for businesses like ours to be able to affect um, so many different people's lives in such a positive way because now they can use their funds to make their decision to employ their own workers. So it's been, it's been very significant for us for sure. Amazing. And that, and that kind of leaves me, I've got two quick questions. I know I've only got about five minutes left for, I've got to let you get back to your busy day, but I, um, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I want to dig a little bit deeper on that because I guess there's intention and execution, right? And I think mm-hmm. the intention of the NDIS was, very well thought out and was one that had um, all the right intent in the world. Yes. But like, unfortunately, many government programs, whether it be through childcare or insulation bats or solar or the vet fee help scheme to mis-execute its deployment. Um, Mm -hmm. I was reading back through some articles, one that was actually from The Guardian um, in April 2019, and it was an article about slowing out slowing the rollout of NDIS and automated welfare systems to save billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, the article sort of shows how it was um, defunded in last year's federal budget to move to an automated system. We're now six years into NDIS, but there are still people who have been waiting over two years for a wheelchair. Um, this mm-hmm. is a quote by Kirsten Dean from the yes. Every Australian Counts um, Advocate Group. So yeah. with any political, federal-driven um, incentive, it usually has a lot of red tape 
And it's usually <laughs> extremely slow. Like, I like you was also one of the winners of the Social Entrepreneur Year, uh, of the Year Award a couple of years ago because I used the Back to Work scheme to help 18 to 24-year-old Australians to get into full-time employment. Yeah. Um, but it was slow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I hear you. Um, and, you know, just to shout out Kirsten Dean and the organisation Every Australian Counts campaign and, and, and the guys behind that, including Kirsten, are doing a, a, an amazing job um, in terms of just advocating on behalf of people with disabilities to put all the grievances forward about all the bureaucracy and all the red tape that people st- and all the hoops that people still literally have to go through to try and get funding and to also to be adequately funded as well once they do have a plan. So it, it is very, um, it's very political, absolutely. It's very difficult. Um, it's, there's a lot of, there has been a lot of systemic issues with the NDIS, including the rollout of the scheme as well. Um, as, a, as a support, as a provider, we have not been immune to those issues as well. Um, we experience the, those on a, on a weekly basis, absolutely. There's a lot of frustration there. Government, notoriously, as you've said, does move incredibly slow. Um, and to affect change takes a lot of time because of the bureaucracy and, and all the red tape that goes on. So we certainly feel that. Um, and that's why I think for us it's super important to keep our, so our offering and our service simple. Just keep it simple. Um, just basically understand um, why, we're, why we're here, what, what we're doing, um, being able to easily articulate that to our partners and basically give them a really fantastic customer experience that cuts out all that red tape, that cuts out all that bureaucracy that they live with on a daily basis because, you know, they're not just dealing with us as a service provider, they're dealing with a support coordinator, they're dealing with a planner, they're dealing with and many other organisations. It's a full-time job just to manage someone's NDIS plan, um, either managing it on your own behalf for yourself or managing it for a family member, um, could be a child or a sibling or something like that. So there's so much um, heartache, I might say, involved in just dealing with the day-to-day that, you know, for us it's been really critical that we make ours the best experience possible in terms of being, you know, as easy as possible for people to opt into. Um, you know, there's no red tape involved. There's no uh, there's no ridiculous layers of, you know, decision-making involved to get a response. Um, and that's really been critical for us because there is absolutely, to your point, so much pain um, felt across the country by many families and many individuals who are just trying to get outcomes with their NDIS plan or just trying to cut down some of those incredible wait times, like you've mentioned, um, which are really unacceptable. They they really are. Um, I think also what we've seen in our experience is there has been improvement across the way that the agency, um, the NDIA, um, are managing the scheme. They've certainly seen improvement. Um, We've seen some particular initiatives, um, especially during this period of COVID where the agency have relaxed some of their requirements and some of their rules in order to um, service people better. That means that's from a provider perspective and more importantly from a person with disabilities perspective as well, which has provided um, quite quite a bit of relief for people, which has been fantastic. But I think like anything, this has been the biggest government reform since Medicare was rolled out in the 70s. So, you know, it's been a massive reform to introduce, to roll out across the country 
country. Um, any change is enormous. It's been an incredible change management piece and it will take time for us to feel the full effects of, of um, you know, how fantastic that this scheme can be and how amazing that we all know that it can be once it's, um, you know, once we iron out a lot of the systemic issues that are attached to it. And the people like, like I said, Kirsten Dean and her team at Every Australian Counts campaign are doing an amazing job of keeping the government at a, at a state level and also, well, actually at a local, state and federal level on their toes um, with regard to, you know, what the what people are feeling out there and what people are experiencing and keeping, um, keeping all levels of government aware of that and doing a lot of lobbying and a lot of tireless um, advocating on behalf of, of individuals to, to get outcomes. And, and, you know, as we spoke to earlier, sometimes these are just, you know, the smallest of outcomes where you, you know, go all out just for one, one specific person or one specific partner or one specific family. But I think from our perspective, what we feel is when we're even going out and advocating with all our, our passion and our purpose for that particular family, maybe putting a bunch of work to the side, um, we're, we're contributing to the overall change and and that's a that's a that's a good feeling <laughs> oh it is it's heartwarming it's, it's genuinely refreshing to hear that people who have maybe been voiceless for so long have champions out there that are banging down the door saying you know you might ignore them but you won't ignore us you know absolutely absolutely yeah it just um yeah it's it's the, it's the core purpose of our organization um and you know i think um what's that whole that whole notion about the squeaky wheel <laughs> i think you know you've got to make noise sometimes um we've definitely come into our space and and been a disruptor and made you know the noise required and we'll continue to make the noise that we need to to um ensure that we're getting outcomes for the partners that we that we exist to service yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Well, I, um, I, I've got one final question, which is I've taken a little bit of a fascination over the, the last year or so with um, things like artificial intelligence and robotics yeah. and augmented yeah. reality. Yeah. And I'm looking forward because over the next couple of episodes after yourself, we've got a gentleman, uh, Tui Lam from Black Book AI, and then we've got um, Kane and, and Thomas from um, Home Guardian. So to quickly, quickly shout out um, Thomas Steenarkers, um, Carl Brown, and um, Kane Sadar, three good friends who have co-collaborated on a business called Home Guardian. It's yeah. an artificial intelligence product that assists in aiding with remote care. Mm. Um, so how do you feel technology can continue to aid and assist in the overall holistic approach to care? Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's a great one. It's it's very much it's been very topical, um, particularly across, you know over the last couple of years. And I'm also aware of the the work the guys at Home Guardian are doing, which is some fantastic development of some fantastic techno technology there. Um, I think definitely you know there certainly is a place for AI. Absolutely, we're moving into the world is you know at a very fast pace. Um, we're moving into some you know really exciting times in terms of what's being developed. And I think it's just about from from our perspective as an organisation, it's really, and from my own personal viewpoint, it's really about just getting that balance right, I feel. You know, there'll always be a place for human care and obviously that human touch, so to speak, and that human side of things. But if we can further impact and improve the quality of people's lives with some of the technology that's being designed, then why wouldn't we absolutely be open to it? 
Um, I think where I'm seeing it work quite well at the moment is some um, pilot programs that we were sort of shown and and exposed to as an organisation around um, working with people who wanted to employ their own support workers to um, utilise AI to take care of um, OH&S requirements and having a look at the spaces um, in which they're working in and having online modules and sort of online um, capabilities to train staff um, and also have that extend to further extend to assistance in their home as well. But I think from that perspective for us, it's, it's definitely, there's definitely a place for it and it's actually really exciting um, what, what people can do. And also in terms of training people, sort of flagging any potential hazards that might be in the work environment as well um, that you know with the introduction of new technology and and different sorts of platforms um, people are able to do that and and operate a lot more safely in their home environments which protects the person with disability but also protects the um, support workers as well so um, yeah there's some very exciting things going on very exciting projects but I really am am a big believer about um, making sure that we do strike that balance though the balance between where we do still need um, the human side of things um, versus, you know, where we can make things more efficient, more streamlined and, and easier for someone to go about their, you know, daily life um, with the introduction of AI. But I think it's going to be really interesting as things continue to progress um, and what the capabilities look like moving forward and how we, you know, decide on which direction that we want to go in and, and how we incorporate both and ensure that we have the right balance, um, I think is going to be probably one of the most fascinating things, particularly over the next couple of years. Amazing. Well, I cannot wait to see yourself and your business at the absolute forefront of that innovation and change um, in Australia. On behalf of everybody, I respect that you are in Victoria, which at the moment has its own challenge its own challenges um, sure you, are, you are in the care space this is probably the busiest time of the last 30 to 50 years so we really yeah. appreciate your time and insights and i think for anybody who at the moment is in victoria or tasmania about to come into queensland very soon yeah. if you are or know somebody who is eligible to the NDIS that would like to be empowered, that would like to take control of their own life and their own decisions, be treated as um, an equal um, human being and ultimately be given a platform from which they can live their best life, then make sure you send them to www.carersolutions.com.au because I think after listening to this, we can all be quietly confident that Jane and her team will do everything in their God-given power to help and support you. So um, I hope there's more Jane Morels in the world, or <laughs> I believe there are more Janes. I just hope more of them can uh, come to the forefront and make an impact. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think on, on behalf of everybody, um, thank you so much for what you do. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you so much, Jack. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been great to chat. No, absolutely loved it. You enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks very much. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye now. Bye.